this is part three. I got one more part. I had no idea how long this was going to uh, focus on different things. But um, this part three, I've got probably just one more part of the seven things. They were just six, and I found, yeah, there's one more point I want to make from Paul's discussion, Paul's goodbye to the church at Ephesus. Seven things that every Christian needs to do to finish well. And when you're um, ready, let's go to Lord in prayer and let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to open your word. God, we, we have your word right in our hands, right here. It's not... Um, it's not hidden. We're not having to, um, uh, uh, I don't know, go through uh, all kinds of, of uh, secret ceremonies to try to get access to it. We have it right in our own hands. We can read it with our own eyes, test it with our own heads, and believe it with all of our heart. Would you please help us to believe it and obey it today? I love you. I thank you for your word. I pray that every person would consider these things that we're going to learn this morning because we've got to finish well. We, we, uh, we have too many Christians who are just wandering and, and um, uh, floundering and they're struggling. And the struggle is not wrong. It's when we don't have a purpose and we don't have a, a end point in view and don't keep going. Would you please help us to be faithful, faithful, faithful as your children, as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how to finish well. Well, let's um, uh, prayerfully, this will go forward. Sometimes... Technology works, and sometimes it does not. I don't know what I did. Let's see if this is going to work or not. By way of introduction, and um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, by way of introduction, let me say this. I want to read four scriptures, and um, it does not like what I'm trying to do. I don't want to have to do this, but you're going to have to just put up with me here. Uh, there are four things I want you to um, uh, to read with me. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. Find Philippians chapter 3. Okay, I'm going to have my wife push the button so I can just preach. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. We're going to go right there right now. The thing works and works and works, and until we go live and then something goes wrong, You'll be pushing this button, I tell you. Thank you. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. So you're going in your New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. says this, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Oops, what did I do? Oh, that is, yeah, thank you. Pull it back over. All right, uh, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Did you notice he was forgetting the past? Did you notice he is always pressing forward? And I want to ask you a question. Why? Why do you think he was doing that? And the answer is in that last verse, in verse 14, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a prize for the Christian, and it's not heaven. Heaven's a gift. A prize is something you get to earn. So uh, look at the next verse here. To the uh, Nita, um, I want you to go to Acts chapter 20, which is where we've been. Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. Acts 20 and verse 22. Acts 20, 22 says this. 
saved, we'd say except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I receive the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In the face of such bonds and afflictions and chains and pain, even probably the loss of his life, why did he keep going? Why? Well, tells it right there. He wanted to finish. Finishing was more important to him than living. That is, that is our, 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 the, the missing link in our understanding of the Christian life. First Corinthians now, go to the right. First Corinthians 15, go ahead and click it. First Corinthians 15 and verse 58. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Here's our word, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why be steadfast? Why be unmovable as a Christian? Why, why are we just staying on track? Why do we stay on the narrow way? Why don't we just take some time off? Why don't we do that? Well, because our labors for Jesus are never in vain. They are never a waste of time. Matthew, one more, another one. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. Matthew 25, 21. Jesus is telling the parable of a man who has some servants and he calls forth those servants, three of them, and he goes, he reviews their life. And he says this in chapter 25 and verse 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So why be faithful over some few things that nobody notices? Why be faithful over some small things as a Christian? Because Jesus will, in the end, reward your faithfulness with great reward and with great joy. Now, would you click that again? Shouldn't our heart's desire be that we also finish well, finish happy, finish doing what Jesus asked us to be doing as his people? Are you really content with just floating along? Going from storm to storm to storm with no aim, no purpose, no joy, and no fruit in your life? I'm not happy. Whenever I'm going through that doldrums and that hard time, I, I, I want to get back on producing fruit. Is there anyone today that wants to be like Paul and with a desire to finish your course with joy as well? I do. So one more click. But it takes a new way of thinking. It takes an absolute new way of thinking to be a finisher as a Christian. It doesn't come easily or naturally. There has to be something more. And that's my goal. I want to teach you about uh, uh, having a, a, a mindset, a heart desire to think differently about finishing the Christian race. So let's go back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, where we were last week, actually over the last two weeks, but Acts chapter 20, verse 18 and verse 19. And this is by way of review, Acts 20, verse 18 and 19. And Paul, as we've said over the last few weeks, he's gathered uh, the leaders of, of the Christians at Ephesus, and he says, I got I to gotta 
just share with you and remind you of some things because I'm leaving and I probably am not coming back. And I need as much as I desire to be faithful, I want you to be faithful. So let me show you Acts chapter 20, verse, we'll start in verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church in verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after, here's our words, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Now, as we unpack these two verses, we've seen there's layer upon layer of, of a manner of life, a, a kind of life that a Christian has to have if you're even gonna, if you're even gonna accomplish finishing well. Um, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye to those Christians. And he's reminding them of his open life and his testimony, his honest testimony of life, that he was going to keep doing what God called him to do, which is win souls, which was disciple and start churches. God called him to speak, whether they were on the street corner or in king's palaces. He was just going to be faithful. And he's going to do it and do it, do it no matter the cost until Jesus called him home, never quitting. Uh, and, and he was determined to finish, not just finish, but finish well. But he challenges those Christians to keep going on as well, winning souls and discipling them, finishing their course, never, never quitting. And by doing so, he's challenging us to finish well as well. Because the Christian life is not something you just do. Right? It's something you need to constantly be encouraged to do. It's something you need to be. That's why we have church. If you think you live without church, it's like it's, it's the most opposite thing you need. If you're born again, you need encouragement. You need feeding time and, and challenging time and time where you're convicted and you're, you're, um, uh, you're um, I don't know, as I said, encouraged, but helped because it, is, it doesn't come easy. Anybody convinced you that the Christian life was, a, was an easy life, they lied to you. So Paul comes along and he says, guys, I know how hard it's going to be for you. It's been hard for me, but let's never quit. Because as we read there in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I showed you last week that to finish well, we need to have some, some, some characteristics, some ingredients. Go ahead. And these seven ingredients, I called them six last week, but I've added one because as I read along, I see so much. And if you gave me another month, I probably would see six more. So we're just going to stop here. But there's seven ingredients to the Christian life that help us so that we finish well. The first one I said last week was, again, that we need consistency in our life. Where we develop a consistent Christian life by right habits. A habit is something you do without even thinking. A habit is something you do because... That's what you've been trained to do. It's what you've been taught to do. It's what you've been uh, um, uh, working um, in your life so that you do it instead of what you used to do. That was um, hindering you. So develop uh, consistent godly habits, or as Paul calls it, a godly manner of life. Now, if you think a, a good habits are lame or a waste of time, talk to an athlete. An athlete will tell you they usually have a personal trainer, if they're going to be any good, who has told them about when to go to sleep, when to get up, what to eat, what not to eat, what, what not to drink, what not, 
what not to to watch and to discourage them from the upcoming race or whatever event. Let me tell you, habits make or break a Christian. You have all the faith in the world, but you don't have right habits that balance out the flesh so the flesh isn't in charge. I mean, this is, this is where the battle between the, the spirit and the flesh is lost because we don't bring our flesh into line with what our godly manner of life, godly habits. So you and I should be changing into more and more like Jesus by the way that we live, but it only happens as we choose to do things God says to do faithfully, like making a habit out of getting to, getting to bed early and then getting up early, eating healthy, and so on and so on. Those are right habits. But we should also have the habit of praying about everything. Don't make it a religious act. Oh, I have to do it because it's religious. No, you do it because it's your breath. It's the breath of your spirit. You need to have the habit of reading your Bible every day. You need to read your Bible from cover to cover, starting in Matthew, reading all the way to Revelation, and going back to Genesis, and reading all the way through, and never stop and just keep reading your Bible every day. Being at church every time the doors open. I mean, I wanted to live at church when I first got saved. It was just the best place to be. We don't, we don't live at church. But when the church is open, when it's a, a meeting time, when it's worship time, it ought to be in our desire. Now, not everybody's able to do it, but it ought to be in our desire. I want to be there. That's my habit. Uh, you know, church should keep you away from sports. Amen. Church should keep you away from the TV and from your hobbies and from your games. It shouldn't be the other way around. Oh, you know, pastor, I'm in the middle of a, uh, of a puzzle. I can't, I can't come to church. Can you believe that? If it came time for church, you put aside the puzzle pieces. If it came time for church, if it was Sunday, you don't go to a sports event. Church keeps you from all those things. Doesn't keep you constantly away from all of them time. But church, it ought to be your habit that we get together in church. Look at us right now. We can't even be together. When we start again, is it your heart's desire to make sure you're in church every time it's time for church? You ought to have the habit of giving a gospel track out. Have the habit of packing uh, uh, leaflets um, uh, somewhere in your pockets or in your coat or in your purse or whatever. And you just hand it to people. You know, some of us cool off, and it's it's important for us to say, I, I've cooled off. I need to get back into the habit of handing a gospel tract to somebody every day. How about keeping your mouth shut? The habit of keeping your mouth shut when you've got a bad attitude. That's the habit you have to learn. How about having the habit of instantly resisting the devil and yielding to God instead of yielding to the devil? How about the habit of memorizing scriptures? That's a good habit to have. What am I saying? Simple examples of we need good habits. We need a manner of living that is in the little things that we do. Because our life is made up of the little things that we do, not the big showy things that somebody may see from uh, time to time. So, you know, the world is looking and wondering, is Jesus worth following? And you're the only proof that he is. And if you have no zeal, if you have no habit of life that reflects the life of Jesus Christ, then they'll walk away going, I guess he's not worth following. Second thing I pointed out last week was ministry. So consistency in our life. And secondly, ministry in our life. Do a ministry. Look at Acts 20 again uh, in verse 19. We talked about his manner of life in verse 18, verse 19. Those first few words are serving the Lord. Folks, 
if you're going to finish well, you need to be working hard. A, a, a lazy person never finishes. That's obvious. How can they finish well if they don't even finish? I would, I would be ashamed. I'm afraid I'm going to be ashamed when we, you and me, are going to be in heaven and the Lord is going to have to give, uh, uh, is going to ask me to give an account of whether I taught you the importance of reading your Bible. And you're going to stand there and you're going to be saying, I'm saved 26 years, Lord. And the Lord says, you ever read my book? You're going to say no. And then he's going to look at me. Did you teach him, Craig? And did you compel him? Did you urge him? Did you push him to read his Bible? Yes, Lord. All right. It's on you then. It's on you that you didn't work at it. That it didn't, that hard work. You say, well, reading the Bible is hard. Yes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it goes right over the head. Sometimes it's like, I don't understand. Amen. But we read it because it cleanses, it feeds, it encourages, and it changes us. So my point is this, uh, complaining, hyper-Christian, hypercritical Christians will never finish well. They'll always find fault with something. A person who's a servant doesn't complain. A person who is there to serve just does whatever is asked. And if God says, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, if, if Jesus says, search the scriptures, then that's what we do. That's what we do. Christians who will humble themselves like Jesus did in his life and become servants like Jesus did, like Jesus was, will finish well. That's the secret. The secret to finishing well is a right attitude of, I'm just a servant of God. When you're serving people, you're serving Jesus. It's a spiritual law. You don't lead the pack and finish well. You carry the pack and you will finish the well. That doesn't make sense. But when you, in, in, your, in, in your purpose in life, when somebody's falling, the Bible says, ye which are spiritual, lift them up, carry them. See, if I wanna finish well, I'm looking around as I'm trying to finish, I don't say, oh, I don't want this person to distract me. No, that distraction is part of your finishing. Things that may slow you down, things that may, may trouble you, things that may be hard for you, actually are what will make you a finisher because they strengthen you. Jesus called his disciples to become the greatest, not preachers, but servants, the greatest servants the world has ever known because serving well will help you finish. Let's look at the next one. So I'm going to continue. I, I, I'm going to teach you two more things this morning out of the seven that Paul shows us in his life. The third thing that Paul the examples in Paul's life is humility. Consistency, ministry, now humility. Look in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord, hear these words, with all humility of mind. Go down to verse 24. Down to verse 24. Just a bit of, right in the middle there. It says, but none of these things move me. And here's his words. Neither count I my life dear to myself anymore. If any of us are going to finish well, we're going to have to change the way we view ourselves. Paul said he had all humility of mind. What a, what a, so it, it just, that just seems so out of reach. He had a mind completely empty of self-importance. Humility of mind is the way you think about yourself. And Paul says, it's for, his, for what he thought about himself, it was very low, as in lower than the importance of others. I know you're in Acts. Go to the right. Go to Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians, we've got some scriptures to uh, look at here. Philippians chapter 2, and then we're, uh, verses 3 to 7. Philippians chapter 2. Turn that light off there. There's a little switch on the bottom. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing, watch this, let nothing be done. Whatever you're doing, dear Christian, let nothing be done through strife. There's the arguments. There's the disagreements. There's the fighting. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Wait a minute. So which position am I taking, the higher or the lower ground? I'm taking the lower, aren't I? So I think lower of myself than I do of other people. I'm not strutting around in pride. I'm not strutting around showing off in arrogance and self-importance. I don't show off all of my knowledge and all of my abilities. No, look at verse four. Look not every man on his own things. Don't worry about only your own things, but every man also worry about the things of others. Are they doing okay? Um, has anybody checked on them? Has anybody just asked them how they do it? Has anybody actually told them, I'm praying for you. I love you. Um, uh, anything I can do for you, let me know. I don't know what you can say. But say something, do something, worry about others instead of only your own stuff. Verse 5, he goes on, let this mind be in you, this way of thinking, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how Jesus thought. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not, rob be, not, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. If anybody could have walked the streets and say, by the way, do you know who I am? <laughs> it was Jesus, and yet he didn't do it. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. What a humbling, humbling thing. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. To the right, after the book of Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse, oh yeah, go ahead and hit it once, please. First uh, Peter chapter five in verse five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. I mean, your parents will tell you that. Mind your manners around the grandparents. Mind your manners about, around that person who's older than you. I mean, one of the hardest time of my life was when I was a young child and my parents would leave and my older brother was in charge. And so they'd say, mind your brother. Why? Because he's older than you. I didn't understand all that. But one day, then I got to be the one in charge. My younger brother had to obey me. It was sweet. It was wonderful. Finally got to experience what my older brother got to experience. It wasn't all that was cracked up to be. But the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject under one to another and be clothed with what? What do your clothes say? Young lady, what do your clothes say to everyone around? Probably, probably, unless you're unusual, which I'm all for. But unless you're unusual, your clothing, your makeup, your hairstyle reflects the devil. And it reflects just an attitude of here I am. And yet the Bible says we're to be clothed with humility. Gentlemen, what does our face, what does our attitude show? What are we? What are we trying to show off? What is our? What is our whole demeanor and attitude as a Christian? The Bible says, "Be clothed with humility." Why? For God 
resisteth the proud. You want an enemy? You'll make an enemy of God if you have an attitude of pride. And yet he give a grace to the humble. Which attitude do you have? Jesus said that even though he was the king of kings, he said, I'm meek and lowly of heart. What a thought. I mean, the king of all kings, the God of glory, walking on the earth, he says, come unto me, for I am meek and lowly. I'm not thinking of myself. You're not here for me, Jesus said. Isn't that crazy? Every politician who comes to your door, he's trying to convince you he's here for you, and he's not. He or she, they're in there for themselves. They're in there for whatever dream they've got or whatever they think needs to be done. That's politics. But in Christianity, Jesus said, you're not, you're not here for me. I'm here for you. He saw and he valued your life more important than his own life, and he proved it when he went to the cross. We could and we would change our world if we changed our mind about ourselves. Can I repeat that? We Christians, we would change the world if we would change our the way we think about ourselves. Paul seemed to have no, that go out, hit the left arrow, the arrow, left arrow. Paul seemed to have no self-esteem, and that's kind of a crazy thought. He says in verse 24, you don't have, back there in Acts chapter 20, he said, neither count I my life dear unto myself. He wasn't thinking of himself. And that's the proof of humility. When you decide who is more important and it's not you, that's when you're actually humble. And this is very hard for Europeans. And believe me, Americans are worse at it. I mean, all we think about is what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what game we're going to play on the PlayStation and Xbox. We worry about what people think of us and what they think of our opinions. We worry about what people are saying about us. And yet we rarely, if at all, think about what others are going through and whatever they need. I, I, I read about a young girl who approached her friend and with tears announced that her grandmother just died up country. The friend quickly responded, oh, that's terrible, but I'm having a bad day too. <laughs> I mean, what happened there? One young girl and her grand, losing her grandmother, and she just says, you know, my grandmother just died. And the other girl says, oh, that's terrible, but I'm having a bad day too. That just shows that the second girl is, not, is, is, is full of herself at that moment. Yeah, you may have to tell about how her day's going later on, but wow, listen, have compassion. Pride is killing us, folks. Paul didn't have low self-esteem like we think because Paul wasn't thinking, wasn't, wasn't hating himself. He didn't think he was worthless or of no value like a lot of people do today. No, a Christian should have a very good view of themselves. You realize that the way that, the way that God made you, dear Christian, is good. I know somebody who uh, was uh, uh, conceived from a rape. She's a missionary's wife right now. And you got to see, you say, well, that was a terrible thing. That's still a miracle thing. She can't go back and says, well, I'm not like everybody else. Uh, you know, nobody's like anybody else. We are unique. And the way God designed you is good. As a matter of fact, Psalm 139 says you are wonderfully made. If you ever take time to learn about the human body and how it works and how miraculous it is, you will be in wonder of it. It is a marvel of design. You are not an accident. You're not inferior. According to the Bible, you are the apple of God's eye. You are what he chooses over everything else. 
Paul simply wasn't saying that I feel bad about myself. No, he simply didn't think of himself. You know, can I be kind of uh, interesting here? I think about why are we, why are you and I watching this thing? Why are we alive at this time, uh, you know, when everything's going crazy? I don't know. God's got a special purpose for us. This world needs us, which is a scary thought. Jesus needs us to be faithful in this time like Esther was in her day. She was, she was there in, in Persia, in the palace even, for such a time as that, when God's people were going to need a deliverer and God's people were going to need a miracle who's going to come through a Jewish woman in the most un, un, no, un, impossible situation. And God is probably going to use us for the same thing. Paul had moved beyond worried about himself to worrying about others. He did not value his life over the souls of others around him, but he was focused on the value of others above his own needs and even his own wants. And whatever happened to him no longer mattered. Can you try and say that? No matter what happens to me, it doesn't matter as long as I do what God asked me to do. Do you have that desire? That's how a fireman thinks. Fire breaks out, drives or arrives at the scene, the building's on fire and somebody announces there's somebody in there. They can't get out. You know what a fireman is trained to do? To make a decision. To risk his own life, his or her own life. But usually it's a man. Risk his own life to enter into that dangerous situation, that deadly situation, and try to rescue them. That's what firemen do. Where'd they get that from? Why don't Christians do it? That's where the missionaries are. The missionaries come and respond to the call when they no longer count their life dear unto themselves. And they're willing to go and face whatever the world throws at them because they want to do what God asked them to do. Uh, go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. I got you going around because some of these, this is, these seven things are all interwoven throughout the scriptures. They're in David's life. They're in Moses' life. They're in, as I'm going to show you, in, Josh, in, in Joseph's life, young Joseph's life back in Genesis. They're in every life of everyone who ever finished their course. Uh, Philippians chapter three in verse seven says this, but what things were gained to me, what I, what, what, what I seem to, to, to get out of, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. I add it all up. I'll talk about this more next week. Just follow me for a moment. All things I add them all up, but they come up as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered. I've already lost all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So Paul looks at his own life, and he says, even though I've lost everything, it's like losing dung. You really want to keep that? You really want to hold on to that and think that, well, that's kind of important for me to keep. That's, I, I kind of want to put it on the wall. I kind of, no, no, no. Whatever I've lost, I'm, I'm glad to just leave behind. More. Humility is the hallmark of Christianity. I know we're supposed to love one another. And by this, all men know about, you're my disciples. But boy, if I'm going to love somebody that I don't like, I'm going to have to humble myself. Humility is the first step of love. See, once for me to love someone else, I'm going to have to stop loving only me. So humility is that foundational thought we need to talk about. Now, we're not talking about timidity. 
but a steady, invisible confidence in God's promises and in God's will. Not in ourselves anymore. Let me repeat that again. Humility is a steady, invisible confidence in God's promises and in God's will. Humility is not that you trust yourself, but you trust God. Most Christians quit the life for one of two, quit the Christian life for one of two reasons. And you go to 1 John. You're in Philippians, go to the right, find 1 John, just before Revelation, 1 John chapter 2. There are only really two reasons why Christians quit on church, on soul winning, and on um, uh, being godly, yearning to be holy. Why some? Why so many Christians just go dive back into the world and never, never have a second thought about it? The first reason is because they're probably not saved. First John chapter two and verse nineteen says this: They went out from us; they left us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no no doubt have. Here's our words: They would have continued with it if they were of our type of faith, if they love Jesus, if they got born again, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out, describing they left us, that they might be made manifest that they were not of, not all of us. So the first reason why a lot of people quit is because they're, they're, they're superficial. They just, they prayed a prayer, but nothing changed, nothing, you know, too many people pray and pray and pray, but all they're doing is just saying words. There's no desperate cry. There's no realization that they're lost. There's no repentance. There's just, yeah, 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 I believe. Well, you know, the devils believe and never changes them at all. So there's also one other reason why most Christians fit uh, uh, quit, and that's because of pride. Their pride was hurt. Their expectations in Christianity was not were not met. Well, I became a Christian, but then my girlfriend dumped me. And, and no matter how hard I prayed, nothing happened. So they quit? Hmm. They were offended. You know what? When you get offended, you know what got offended? Your pride. That's why our, our generation, this generation's most ungodly generation because of one root sin, pride. They're all offended at everything because they think it's all about them. They think the sun and the world revolves around them. And so here they are, and they're upset at you, they're upset at me, they're upset at Christians, they're upset at the King James Bible, they're upset at hymns. They're, you know what? It's pride. And so they quit because their pride was hurt. You know, that's of the devil. And it ought to scare you when you start to think about quitting. And, and it's not that you haven't been hurt. We're all, we'll focus on this in a moment. It's that you've let your pride be hurt as more important than the needs of others. If your image... And how people see you is more important to you, you're going to quit. Guaranteed. If you're worried about what people think about you and what they say about you, uh, whether to your face or behind your back, if you're worried about that, I guarantee you, you will quit. It just is natural. That's the natural thing. Somebody's going to say something. If the devil knows that you're worried about what people are going to say, the devil brings somebody to say what is needed to get you to quit. And if success is important to you, you will quit as well. If you only think of being successful at what you do, if your ministry has to be successful, or if your business, or if your family, if all of those things have to be perfect and successful, and they all have to work well, 
in order for you to be happy, in order for you to be faithful as a Christian, you will quit because your life only matters if you're a success instead of if you're faithful. But I'll ask you this, if Christ is important to you, is he? Because if he is the only reason why you do anything and you put up with things, I mean, you put up with people and you put up with abuse and you put up with misunderstandings and you put up with failure after failure after failure. If Christ is all you're worried about, you will not quit because all you want to do is be faithful. He doesn't care whether you're successful. He gives the increase. He just needs you to plant. He just needs you to water. He just needs you to plow. He just needs you to weed but he makes that seed grow. That's why Paul was able to say in Acts 20, 24, again, we'll use that verse and says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life unto myself. Why could he say that? Because he just wanted to finish. He wanted to be faithful. Did you ever, would you click it there? Did you ever hear of a man named? Oh, I wanted to show the picture. Click it one more time. This is your, and one more time, this is your and my life and all of our successes. Are you willing to leave that behind? Is that something you're willing to say that does not define my life? My best successes are like cow manure. Next one. Next one. You know, if, if we would be humble like little children who just don't care who they play with, they don't care whether somebody's upset with them. One minute they're angry at one another. Five minutes later, they're the best of friends. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a childlike spirit? Jesus even said it. You must become like little children. Humble yourself there. Another one. Another one. <laughs> Normally I would be pushing these. You ever hear of a guy named Thomas Edison? You know, he didn't care what anyone thought about his inventions. He just had an idea and he worked on it. And in my, if my understanding is right, he made 800 light bulbs that did not work until one of them finally did. He kept failing and failing and failing. He just stayed at it until one worked. Next one. You have to push it twice. How about a guy named Michael Jordan? Do you ever hear about Michael Jordan? Now, he's a famous basketball player in America, but this is his testimony. You know what he says? He doesn't talk about all of his successes. You know what he says? I missed more than 9,000 shots in my career, and I've actually lost more than 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to make the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Why? Because I never quit. You have to stand in awe of somebody, saved or lost. He's got a good testimony of, I failed, but I was not going to quit. Next one, please. How about a guy named Moses? Did you ever hear of Moses? You know, he tried to quit, and he couldn't. Do you know that failure that Moses experienced, he had several failures in his life, actually helped him to become what Numbers calls him, the meekest man on earth. Failure doesn't ruin you. Failure changes you. And if you're, if you're following the Lord, it changes you for good. How about, don't hit, how about young Joseph? He was hated. He was abused. He was lied about. If anybody was a failure, it was Joseph. There was nothing happening in his life for his own benefit. And yet you find him never quitting serving God or people. How about Job? Job lost everything, yet in the deepest pit of anguish, you know what he wrote, what he spoke? He said, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. If he wants to kill me, he can kill me. I'm just gonna keep trusting 
my Lord. Did you ever read about Jeremiah? I could go on all day. Jeremiah, he felt like a complete failure reading that book, reading Jeremiah chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Jeremiah just wants to quit. He wants to die. He wants God to let him let him go and just let him run away. He just he just can't understand everything is failing around him. He says, why do you need me? <laughs> All I'm doing is, is messing things up. But he couldn't quit. He couldn't, he, he was, it was in him. He had a, a manner of life that was built in him. I have to serve the Lord. It, it, the word of God burned in his heart like a fire that he had to speak. He had to keep preaching. He had to keep going. Boy, we need that. How about Peter? What a spectacular failure of a disciple Peter was. And you know what? He actually did quit. But then Jesus called him again. And I, I got news for you. You may have quit. Jesus still calling you. He doesn't just say, well, good riddance there. No, he doesn't. He said, I can still use you. I still like to. What is the answer to failure? Are you ready? Not quitting. Only humility. First Peter, go to First Peter. You're in First John. Go back to the left, just a few pages there. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five and verse six. Humble yourselves. I can't humble you. Maybe the world's humbling you. Maybe the devil's humbling you. Maybe your friends are humbling you. But if you ever get the courage to humble yourself, therefore under the mighty hand of God, why? That He may exalt you. In due time. Second thing, click it a couple of times. Oh, ah, there's Joseph. Click it again. Didn't know that was coming up. This is the last point. Probably one of the best points. Have a soft heart. Back to Acts chapter 20, and I'll show you where this shows up. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 19. Serve the Lord with all humility of mine and with many, what's the next word? Tears, would you click it for me? And temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Notice all the many tears and temptations. Click it again. Paul, as a man, cried. At times he was so defeated, he just broke down and wept. He was not effeminate. But there were times when he was defeated. There were times when he just broke down and cried. You know, what happened was this. When Saul became a Christ follower, he actually switched teams. He went from a religious zealot of a Pharisee to a zealot of a Christian. He, who had been against Jesus and all of his followers, he hated Jesus. He despised his followers. He hunted them down. Here he was. One day, he became the hated, the hunted, and the despised himself. And so he lived the rest of his life under constant threat, constant stress of surprise attacks. The lying in wait of the Jews, as it says there, refers to all the time that Paul's old friends were hiding just around a bend in the road, waiting to pounce on him and kill him. He actually had those kind of enemies. Uh, they followed him everywhere he went, like the paparazzi. 
spreading lies and rumors about him, waiting for a chance to see him alone or see him vulnerable. They falsely accused him to the authorities. They provided a constant, no matter where he went, they would come up and say, he's this and he's that, which he wasn't doing anything like. How did he handle all the stress and the threats and the hardship with a soft heart? That is so different than what we expect. You see, the Apostle Paul wept. He cried. He was emotional, not an effeminate type of emotion. But he had a heart that broke, probably broke very often. Uh, Acts chapter 21, go one chapter to the right. Look at verse 13. That's all right. You went too far. Go back, go back. This way, this one. <laughs> he was trying to finish the message fast. <laughs> Acts chapter 21, verse 13 says this, Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? Do you have a breakable heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Think about it for a second. Paul, his heart would break. Does yours? Do you ever, do you ever get sad? Hmm. Philippians, you're in Acts, find, go to the right, find Philippians chapter 3 now. Philippians chapter 3 again in verse 18. Philippians chapter 3 in verse 18. You ought to do word searches in your Bible. You ought to look up in your concordance, or if you have a computer, look it up in the word search. And look up weeping in the book of Acts. Look up crying, uh, wept. Find out many times God's people had to go through hardships. They weren't crying because they lost their job. They weren't crying because somebody didn't, didn't go out with them on Friday night. There was real sorrow here. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 says this, For many walk, and he's talking about apostates and false Christians. There are many who walk among us, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even what? What was he doing as he was writing those, those, those words? He says, and I tell you even weeping that they are the enemies. There may be people in our church. There may be people in our midst who are walking amongst us and they're apostates. They are false Christians and Paul calls them the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul struggled to take each step sometimes. Paul was tempted. He says, lying in wait in, in, in many tears and temptations, he refers to there, let me read it correctly, serve the Lord with all humility of mind with many tears and temptations. Believe me, just as you're tempted to quit, Paul was tempted to quit. Just as you're tempted to sin, Paul was tempted to sin. But Paul never quit. So go ahead. So I want to tell you something. That is your biggest enemy right there. Not sorrow, not a broken heart, not a sad heart, not discouragement not even depression. Those things are not what stop us. That does. A hard heart stops us. Folks, it is okay to, it is okay to be hurt, to be sad, to feel defeated. Just don't let it cause you to quit doing right. Because a hurting heart does not cause you to quit. Pride does. Don't ever get to where you don't feel hurt, where you don't feel the heartache of life. You say, the Christian life for me has been very hard. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the club. 
well, my, as I, each time I try to do right, something goes wrong. Every time I try to do things the right way, I, I lose a friend. I, I, something goes wrong. I, I, I just, I don't get ahead. Amen. See, I just want to cry. Go ahead. Don't ever get to where you don't feel the hurt and the heartache of life. Because when you stop feeling, when you become hard and you're not willing to be hurt anymore, you will quit serving the Lord. You'll quit serving others. You'll just, bleh, there. I, really don't, I, don't, I don't want to be around people. That's pride. Isaiah chapter 53, you don't have to go there, but let me just quote Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, speaking of Jesus. A man of what? Sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was well acquainted, acquainted with grief. John eleven thirty five 35 says, here's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept and that was okay. Sorrow did not stop Jesus from going all the way to the cross and it didn't keep Paul from going to Jerusalem. So your enemy is not a sorrowing heart, not a sad heart, not the way that you feel. That's not your enemy. It's when you don't feel that you'll quit. And that hard heart will cause you to stumble, will cause you to sin. That's what that's where sin starts is in that hard heart that when the Holy Spirit begins to prick that heart and begins to convict that heart, it says, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Don't look there. And you become numb to it, more calloused and harder and harder and harder. You are going to go into deeper and deeper and deeper sin. And it will cause you to quit the Christian life. Folks, allow yourself to weep, to cry, to hurt. Next, you know, you got that. Just hold there. Constantly repent of every prideful thought and attitude and every prideful look that you carry around you because when you repent and you humble yourself and you confess to God, I have been proud. My heart is hard. That is my problem. I don't want to blame it on anyone else. Somebody hurt me, but they're not my problem. My heart is my problem. And I want you to encourage encourage me, Lord. Give me back a soft heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Because then, then God will God will use you, man. You'll be able to get back and you say, but I'm a failure. No, you are not. There are no failures in Christianity. Only quitters. There are no failures in Christianity. You may fail, but that does not define your life. Quitting does. Next one. Now I'm through. Finishing well, next one, is worth more than life for the Christian. Would you believe that? Paul admits that all he wanted, more than life to him, was the desire to finish well. Paul says, my life used to be precious to me. It was the most important thing that I considered every day as a religious person. But now, now that I'm saved, it is not my own life and safety and happiness that I worry about. I worry about others. Philippians 1.20, you'll go to just a few more scriptures. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. Philippians 1 and verse 20. <clears throat> According to my earnest expectation, listen to what his deepest desire was, and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Boy, 
Paul's worry was that he was going to be ashamed, not before people, but before God, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as, here's our word, circle that word, always. Look at his consistency of life. He says, this has been, since the day I got saved, this has been my passion. As always, so now also Christ shall be magnified, glorified, honored by my life in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he says. It only gets better. <laughs> Nothing mattered to Paul but honoring and glorifying Jesus. He couldn't imagine stepping down and doing anything less than what he was doing. And some of what he was doing was not what any one of us would want to do. And he would be ashamed if he ever quit and if he ever let Jesus down. So what do we conclude? Number one, what do we need to do to finish well? Four things I've said so far. Number one, develop right habits. When your parents tell you, get up, get up instantly. When your alarm gets, goes off, get up at the moment the alarm goes off. When it is time to go to bed, do not stay up and check fake book one more hour. Don't see what's on television. When it's time to do what you should do, do it. When you haven't read your Bible, make time to do it. When you handed out a gospel track, make it a habit. Have right habits. When it's time for church, make church the priority. Develop a consistent, godly manner of life. Secondly, work hard at it. When you have those habits, turn them around so that you do them for others. Go to bed early so you're up early so you can do something for somebody else. So they're not the only ones fixing your breakfast. So they're not the only ones cleaning up after you so that you're getting your room clean, so that you're getting yourself ready. I'm talking to young people, but what about the older folks? Are you an example of somebody who has good habits? Work hard as a servant. Third, humble yourself. I kind of say it this way. Why don't you just decide to lose your life into the hands of a loving God? That's what humility is. You let go. Mark 8.35, and I'm just going to quote it here. It may come up on the screen. For whosoever shall save his life is going to what? He's going to lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Go ahead and lose it. Go ahead and let go. Humility is losing your life into God's hands. He does not let you down. He does not fail you. Uh, it, may, it may end in your death, but it ends in glory, folks. For me to live is Christ, and to die is not sad. It is to gain. Do you want to stay faithful as a Christian? Do you want to finish well, see your best efforts and your best successes, and even your own self as a pile of cow manure? Comparing it to Christ, you say, whatever I've accomplished, businesses, money, um, uh, popularity is dung. I, I know Jesus and he knows me. So dial down your, your own feelings, dial down your own wants and your own needs, your own priority, dial it down, 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 as low as you can go, brush off every disappointment and hurt. Don't ever allow them to cause you to quit serving others because if you do, it's not them that's causing it, it's pride. And if you would be, if you just start Humbling yourself, folks, you'll be able to keep going and going longer and longer for Christ. And lastly, and I'll stop with this thought, keep your heart soft. You see, I, I upset people sometimes when I preach because I don't preach like the normal priest. 
I don't even preach like the normal preacher. And I, I don't do it to offend anybody, but I do offend because I'm not worried about what you feel about me. I worry about whether you hear the truth and whether you listen. And if I got your ears, even though you may be angry, I've got your attention. I want you to make a decision. And I want you to worry about how you're going to stand before God one day and you will be ashamed if you don't get these things fixed. I'll be ashamed if I don't get these things fixed. Get them in order. If, if, if there's anything we need today, it's Christians to finish well. This world, this world is trying to finish us. Some of us, all of us need to decide we ain't quitting. So have a soft heart. Don't get upset at me. Don't get upset at the Bible. Don't get upset at other Christians. Christians will upset you. They will offend you. They will do everything wrong. That's okay. You're not doing it for them. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Last, last slide. I'll, some of you haven't even started in the Christian life. I fear for you. This may be the last. I'm glad we're alive. I'm glad you're listening. Right now may be the last hour you've got alive. I don't know. I know this. Every day, tens of thousands of people die and pass off into eternity. Every day, they're worried about coronavirus. Don't worry, don't worry about COVID. Worry about sin and worry about your soul and worry about where you will spend eternity because Jesus Christ does not want you there. But you'll go there if you don't want him. He's the only door. If you reject him, if you even neglect to get saved, you don't even have to reject him. You just have to put it off. If you neglect to get saved, the wrath of God is abiding on you. It's not what I like to preach, but it's what I must preach. There's only one place for you if you don't get born again, and that's under the wrath of God in hell forever and ever and ever. You think that's a great story? You think that's a great thing to preach? Who wants to say it? But you need to hear it, that you need to get into the Christian life. You need Jesus Christ, not because of all the blessings, but because of salvation, because you'll be forgiven, because Christ will take your sin and he puts it on the cross and he takes his righteousness and he puts it on you. Changes your life. If you wanted it, would you bow your heads right now? Would you close your eyes? And would you look at your own heart and say, do I have anything inside of me that says, yes, this is truth. This is real. This is right. Or is it always just an argument with the preacher? Will you not one time right now decide, you know, I'm fighting the wrong enemy. The God who loved me and came down to this earth and did not push himself on anybody allowed wicked religious people and wicked politicians to crucify him, put him on the cross. Why did he do that? To save you. Took your place. Will you cry out to him right now and ask him to save you? Would you just believe that he did it for you? Believe with all your heart. Father, I ask that there be somebody who just look at their life and see it as a mess and be honest with you and say, Lord, I, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of loving myself and hating myself and loving this world and hating this world. I'm tired of quitting and struggling just with life itself. I've never found life. You said that you would give life and that more abundant. I look unto you right now, Jesus. I prayed a simple prayer like that 40 years ago. Somebody needs to pray that right now. This is the most important part of this sermon right now that somebody would be saved. Somebody be born again, converted, not stay the same. These aren't, these aren't instructions for life. These are instructions for the Christian life. Are you even saved? 
Father, would you help somebody get saved today and help every Christian decide the real importance, the real value. It's not in ourselves, it's in others. And if we live for others, we will finish. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you 